record-breaking sales of modern cards. I know there's a Honus Wagner PSA 3 just sold in the high three millions. Three seven? US three seven. Yes. <laughs> That's I believe the most ever paid for the Honus Wagner, even more than the, the the PSA five miscut jumbo that sold a few years ago, I believe, at Heritage. But we saw earlier this year, it seems like so long ago now, I believe in June or July. We had the sale of the LeBron James exquisite gold RPA out of 23, sold for $1.84 million. The most ever spent on a modern card sold by uh, Ken Golden and Golden Auctions. And then shortly thereafter, he sold the Trout Superfractor for a 3.8 something. And then the, the Giannis Logo Man, one of one for just, just north of 1.9 million. Some really big sales. Were you surprised by these sales? And how do you think that impacts the hobby? Of course I was surprised. Anybody should be surprised. And that's why they garnered big time headlines and not just in the hobby press. That that was headline news. Uh, World record prices, hundreds of percent greater than the previous uh, records. Yeah, I am surprised. The rate of increase is clearly not sustainable, but where it goes from here is uncertain. Is there a plateau? The comparison that people want to do, they always want to do the, the most favorable comparison. That's worth this much. Well, then I can spend this much for another card. But Again, there's other alternatives besides buying cards. There's buying houses. There's buying fabulous cars. So we're talking about real money here. And it's a different category of collector now. And they're excited about accumulating really rare and very desirable items. A fellow collector posted on Facebook the other day that he just picked up a vintage uh, Corvette, really beautiful vehicle. And my comment was, but think about the cards you could have had. (laughs) Instead, you mentioned you could buy a house, you could buy a fancy vehicle. A lot of us are buying cards and a lot of people with the values that their cards have begun to reflect recently, you could sell several cards and own a vehicle. I haven't heard anybody tell me I'm selling a card to buy a vehicle. What they're doing, and you mentioned Adam Gray, Adam is, I think, one of the masters of this and and a bunch of other people are doing this, is that they are buying cards, but it's not to get the Corvette. (laughs) It's to trade up to get the better card and then to trade up to get the better card. And so basically they're improving their collection, getting rare and more expensive stuff along the way. The end game, I don't think it's to buy a house. The end game is to have a better and better collection. So I admire that. I think that's great. But at some point, the wife or the family member is going to say, you got a lot of value there. We need something else that, that would be more uh, pertinent to uh, our daily life. Could you sell something? Yeah, for sure. It's the nice thing about our collections, our sports cards, is that they carry value and they're quite liquid relative to other sorts of investments. You do need to go through the process of sending them to a consigner or listing them on eBay yourself or sending them to an auction house. They are quite liquid. You can convert your cards to cash in 30 days type of thing without much hassle. It's a nice store of value. And if you do want to convert it into your living expenses, you can do that. It's not just that. They're so liquid. It's better than cash. To have a rare card that somebody wants, you can trade it so favorably, even better than cash. That's the way it was 45 years ago in the early days of the hobby. They didn't want your money. They wanted your cards. Yeah, it's a new frontier we're in here where these cards are worth so much now. We saw those sales at Golden Auctions earlier this year. We've seen some big auctions at Heritage, among other auction companies. It's been a famous saying lately, a rising tide floats all boats. And we've seen that really trickle down to a lot of the other cards in the hobby. While the top end Michael Jordans are selling for tons of money, 60, 70, $100,000. I'm not talking about his rookie. I'm talking about these rare 90s inserts. We're also seeing some of the more common Michael Jordan cards that were $500 a year ago are now $5,000. And I think a lot of people are feeling priced out. Cards that have been on their want list for five or 10 years are now just out of range for so many people, if not most people. 
What do you think that the impact of that is on the hobby in the long run? Is it good, bad, or just like it's in the middle? It's just, it is what it is. What are your thoughts on that? For most of my hobby life, people have lamented they wish they'd gotten in earlier. <laughs> I wish I'd gotten in earlier because there have been some hiccups, but generally prices have marched up. And so you're wishing you got in a couple of years ago and you bought this stuff. So that's just the mindset of the collector. But at the risk of being a little bit negative here, the rising tide raising all boats, that's not what the global warming people say. They say the rising tide is going to flood the villages because it's going to overwhelm. And so you don't want the tide to rise too fast. That's my voice of experience or being a little bit of a sage in the industry is things don't need to go up. They don't need to double every three months. If they double in three years, that's terrific in the stock market. That's that's yeah. great for private equity. Yeah, the rise has been unsustainable. 100%. Un so, un rising, too much of a rising tide is a flood. It's a tsunami <laughs> that comes onto you. It's not riding a surfboard. It's coming at you. No, I, I agree. I am looking forward to a bit of a stabilization. I do think that we do need it in the hobby and we need to level off a little bit. We can't have cards doubling in value, ever, like you said, every three months or, or quicker, which we've seen. Let's talk about the Wayne Gretzky PSA 10s. We had the Opeachy and the Tops that both sold earlier this month. They were sold by Heritage Auctions, and it's the first hockey card to sell for over a million dollars. The Opeachy PSA 10, population of two, sold for 1.29 million US dollars. As I'm predominantly a hockey guy, I do collect all four sports and some of the other sports as well. But I was really pleased to see a hockey card surpass the $1 million mark. I think that was important for the hockey segment within the overall hobby. Hockey is sometimes forgotten about. Even Starstock doesn't have hockey yet. Do you think that the sale of the Gretzky PSA 10 for that kind of money is going to help put hockey on the map a little bit more uh, across the whole hobby? Absolutely. You and I had an extended conversation on Hobby Hotline a few weeks ago, and we pushed back on each other's uh, conclusions, but we're iterating toward a better understanding of those two cards. I think we agree. Those are two really tough cards. If I went to somebody's house and they said, hey, let me show you some of my hockey cards, if they even had an eight, much less a nine, much less one of the two tens, I would be blown away. Those are extremely tough and so legit as centerpieces of somebody's collection, whether in Canada or wherever. Those are fabulous cards that are condition rarities such that, you know, compared to some of these other things that are there's not a long list of what were you saying that the Gretzky was the eighth most expensive card that's worthy ever sold. Yeah. And that's not the eighth highest auction hammer ever because we've had multiple honuses, multiple Mickey's, that sort of thing. But yeah, that was my understanding of uh, the eighth highest sold. There are a lot of hockey cards collectors out there. And uh, I'm not saying there are more than football or baseball or, or basketball, but they're at least as passionate. Yeah. So why shouldn't they have their best card being right up there? I agree. I'm really excited by it. I think it, it bodes well. We've already seen other Gretzkys and other really important hockey players' values uh, really rise quite nicely. Mario Lemieux has been the, a, a major beneficiary of that lately. So it's nice to see some respect coming to hockey. And maybe we'll see people included in when they speak of Big Four or maybe Big Five. You mentioned Adam Gray, a Real 27 guy on Instagram, has uh, created a new magazine for the hobby called The Basketball Card Fanatic. It's a subscription-based magazine. And it's I, I lead with that because... We've seen an uprising in hobby content. We've seen the uprising of hobby content, live shows, YouTube, Instagram is blown up as a major place for the hobby to congregate. How do you see that impacting the hobby? Do you, we didn't have card shows all year, but people are gathering virtually. Do you think it's the way of the future now to have the virtual shows, virtual conferences, live shows like this, celebrity guests, 
hobby icons like yourself joining a guy like me on here talking hobby. Adam Gray's magazine, he's got a great subscriber base. I recommend to everybody to check it out. It's called Basketball Card Fanatic. We've also seen the rise of data tools. We've got a couple, uh, I know I'm very familiar with Card Ladder from Chris McGill from House of Jordans and Josh Johnson from Cardboard Chronicles. I believe Slab Stocks, I think they're called. They have a tool coming out. We've had the uprising of virtual online uh, data analytical tools, new virtual magazine type of things. What, what do you think of all this? And what do you think of it from the perspective of somebody who created the, the price guide publication game in, in the hobby? I won't say create. I know there are people before you, but someone who really brought it well, to, to uh, what Beckett I, I, became. I, I built an audience. The first few years, I, I gave away the, the price information. I had price surveys. They were distributed nationally. So I built my reputation for a few years, giving it away. But then when it became a, a full magazine every month, I was selling it. And so I was selling information. It was curated information. Now, if you fast forward to 2020, moving into 2021, content, information, even curated information, for the most part, is free. The discussions I had with Adam are his content is so good that people are willing to pay for it. But it's got to be really good for people to want to pay for it because there's so much free stuff. How much are you charging your, your viewers or listeners for this podcast? Zero. My podcast is free. So it's hard to compete against free. <laughs> but... The challenge is, since there's so much free stuff out there and it's curated by the person, that collectors that want to get in the know have to have more than one source. It's like only watching one channel for your news. You need to sift through it and figure out who you want to listen to and who's the most trustworthy. So you're having a bunch of guests and people get the benefit of hearing from them. And so on balance, it's a great thing. But with so much free information out there, you've got to be able to have some discernment. Some of that's from being in the past and some of it's from being up to the minute of what's going on. Yeah, for sure. I like how you said you need to discern who you can trust because there are a lot of people out there that have their YouTube channels, that have their Instagram accounts, their Facebook groups, whatever it is. And there are shady characters in our hobby. There's just no doubt about it. And there are people that may be batting above their average, if you will, when it comes to some of the knowledge that they're putting out there, that sort of thing. So I think I think most people will land on where they want to land on, the people that they feel are providing them good value in the hobby, whether they're paying for it or it's free like this 